Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell and Kelly Economics Professor Kyle Anderson. Our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. For those of you joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you to the Kelly family. If you enjoy our content, it would mean the world to us if you left us a review on your favorite podcasting app. That simply helps our show gain more visibility. And to our loyal fans, we want to thank you for your continued support. Because of you, our podcast landed in the top 150 business management podcasts across the U.S. We are so honored you find value in our show and you have helped us grow to such amazing levels. If you want to get a hold of us, if you have a great guest you would like to recommend or simply have a tough leadership decision to make, we would love to help. Send us an email to ROIPod. That's ROI. P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Well, before we jump into our topic today of this China trade war and get some expert advice from our economists, I want to celebrate something incredible because this is a really cool milestone for our show. In fact, this episode is our 100th episode since the launching of the podcast in 2017, which is really interesting because it coincides with Kelly School of Business's 100th year of existence. A hundred years of existence. Wow, Matt, that's incredible. Um, and you know, a century of business education. Um, it's great to be part of this family and to celebrate this great milestone, both for the RI podcast and the Kelly School of Business. Yeah, it's it's really fun, and so we're we're just honored and thank you guys so much for making this podcast possible. Because without you, um, our audience, we would never have made it to the one hundredth episode. All right. On today's episode, we're sitting down with two of our Kelly economics professors, Phil Powell and Kyle Anderson, to talk about this trade war between the U.S. and China. Seems to be across all major business headlines and even in some of our national news. And we're going to dive into, you know, what does this mean for business leaders and how do we navigate through uncertain economic waters? And I think the big question is, is a recession on the horizon? So before we dive into that, I want to kind of start a little more on the broad side and um, start with you, Kyle, bring you in. Why are tariffs causing so much turmoil, both for the U.S. and China? So there are a couple of things that are really driving this volatility. One is there's a lot of uncertainty around the tariffs. So we, we hear a lot of kind of political drama about will there be tariffs or will there not? So most economic policy is laid out much more kind of carefully over a longer time period and so the markets are really reacting a lot to uncertainty about whether these tariffs will exist and what the magnitude of them will be. And, and so I think we're seeing a lot of volatility in the stock market, a lot of uncertainty among business leaders, and, and a lot of it's just policy uncertainty, which the market hates. The, the market's going to hate bad news, but it's also the uncertainty of not knowing how, how things are going to play out really is a, a drag on the business and, and it causes a stock market to be really volatile. Phil, I want to bring you in and, and let's start pinpointing who is actually paying these because we hear a lot in news about, um, you know, oh, we're going to get the government and it's going to, you know, and impact these, these big companies. But at the end of the day, who's really going to be paying these heightened increases in imported and exported goods? It's consumers. It's American households. It's poor American households. It's rich American households. 
Um, basic economics. A tariff is a tax. It's a tax on imports. When you tax an input into the production process, you increase the cost for firms, and that's going to reduce the number of firms who can be competitive in the market, which is going to reduce the production capacity, which is going to raise the price. Um, it's really as simple as that. And I'm hearing too, you know, just watch a lot of these headlines that it seems to be pinpointing in specific industries, one of them being the agricultural industry, a lot of with farmers, you know, China had a, had talks about agreeing to buy X number of, you know, soybeans and corn from U.S. farmers. And now since in these tariffs are looking, it's kind of looking unsettled, you know, do either you guys have some um, input on, on how this is really affecting not just specific industries, but maybe is it even, is it getting broader? So I would jump in and say that it absolutely is. And, and part of it is, that, you know, we call it a trade war. And that's really a good description, right? Like both, both countries are going to fire shots at the others. And China is very savvy. They understand that agriculture is a, a big area of production for the U.S. And it's very broad, right? It hits the whole United States. It's not just targeted in one segment or one group, but there's whole swaths of the country that are, are very dependent on agricultural exports. And so it's not a surprise that China is choosing to target these and really trying to make the U.S. not only consumers feel the pain of these tariffs, but U.S. consumer or U.S. producers and especially farmers feel some of this pain. So we're seeing that, you know, prices are falling, demand is falling for our agricultural goods. And that, you know, is going to hurt large parts of the country and especially places here in Indiana, which which has a, a nice booming agricultural sector, but those prices are going to fall and it's going to really hurt farmers. So in terms of, you know, we have two different countries, two different political, you know, groups, one being China's, you know, dictatorship, communist, another free market, you know, democratic uh, being the U.S. So which one of these markets are going to feel the most strain or is this going to be, is this kind of one of those stalemates where... It could be both losing the most. China is much more dependent upon exports. And they're going everything else equal, they're going to feel more pain. However, the fact that they are not a full democracy means that they have they can withstand more pain because the rulers in Beijing don't feel the wrath of voters. So it underscores this uh point that really this trade war is not about economics it's politics and um you know i but i you know i think at the end of the day even if you're not in a democracy if things get really really bad rulers still feel the the pressure and you have to understand that when you look at the structure of the chinese economy um and the and the strong role of the state the slow evolution, the slow movement of China toward capitalism has been engineered to maintain political stability. And they were able to move into these high-value export sectors, which is what drove the fast growth of the Chinese economy. So in the short run, I think that China can politically withstand it more than we do. But economically... It, it, it attacks more the structure of their economy. Um, you know, 
trade is about 15 to 20 percent of our economy when you add in imports and exports. That's a really, really small ratio compared to most countries. We are pretty insulated. Um, but again, it's more the political drama. China's playing a game of China is playing a game of chicken with us. Can we get the U.S. voters to squirm more quickly than the, the, the pain to us of a real challenge to the structure of our economy? And one thing I would jump in and add here is that, you know, we talk about the U.S. being a democracy, which of course it is, although tariffs and trade policy are one area where the administration has an unusual amount of power. These, these tariffs are not going through Congress, right? The senators are not voting on it. it it's, it's really kind of unique area in which the, the president has almost unilateral authority to act. And so what you're seeing is, I, I don't think you'd be seeing this play out nearly the same way if the Senate and the House had to vote on these tariffs going through, that probably wouldn't happen. But this is one area where the administration can can pretty much act unilaterally and, and take these actions, and, and we're seeing that play out. One of the big headlines is the U.S. Treasury Department labeled China a currency manipulator. And I want to talk about what, so what does that mean? What does it mean with the Treasury says this country is manipulating or intentionally um, doing something with their currency. Let's give a basic lesson in currency. All right, the, va- the value of a currency is determined by supply and demand. A central bank, like the Federal Reserve or the Bank of China, can um, they they have monopoly on the supply of money that's out there. So they can artificially sort of mandate what the exchange rate is. It's what we call fixed exchange rate regime. And when you're a emerging economy like China, and this is true of a lot of the Asian economies, they like to keep their currency very stable because that stabilizes the prices of their exports. They can also keep it price competitive. And like Kyle said earlier, it takes uncertainty out of the market. So the way to fight a tariff, a, 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 the way to fight a U.S. tariff that raises the price of your product is to devalue your currency. And by devaluing your currency, you can almost uh, counterbalance whatever price increase was caused by the tariff. And you can continue to do this uh, you know, in spite of, of what looks like strong policy in the U.S. Now, again, there's, a sh- there's long-term impact. But what we're seeing play out here is a very short-term type of, of game between the U.S. and China. So China's... Uh, devaluation of its currency by basically flooding the market with more Chinese currency is a logical response to higher tariffs, especially when the Trump administration is taxing Chinese exports across the board. And Kyle, you and I were talking about something similar to this over the phone and the example. This had kind of happened in Mexico when when the U.S. started to talk about putting tariffs on Mexico. Right. So one way to think about this in earlier this summer, when it seemed like the U.S. might put some import tariffs on Mexico, basically what happened is the Mexican peso devalued very quickly. And because there might be a, a 5% tariff on Mexican goods, the, the Mexican peso fell by 5%. So what would have happened 
it, had that all played out and, and these, these tariffs ended up not being imposed, but basically there wouldn't have been much change in prices. And so someone might think, well, hey, that's a good thing. We got a tariff and yet we're still able to import goods from Mexico at the, you know, at the same price. Well, there, of course, there's also a downside to that, which means anything that U.S. producers are trying to export to Mexico would become that much more expensive and that much less competitive. So it would actually hurt the U.S. domestic producers who are trying to sell in these goods. And that's what we're concerned about with China. If China devalues their currency, now it's even harder for us, even you know, ignoring them not buying our, our agriculture, it's even harder for our U.S. producers to compete in other countries. And so there, there are these games that go on where each country has a little bit of incentive to devalue their currency and help their domestic producers. But of course, if everyone tries to do this at once, it's, it becomes a zero-sum game. And then it leads to what we all fear and what we've seen in headlines, a potential recession. And um, Phil, I know you and I, when we talked about this a couple episodes ago, when we were revisiting the economic outlook and the forecast, you know, you were saying that, you know, the U.S. Treasury uh, yields, you know, the curve, I believe, was at that point was starting to... The yield curve. The yield curve was starting to go up. But now we're actually seeing, in spite of this trade war, we're starting to see that it actually could be inverting. So first off, you know, what does that actually mean? Give us the economic breakdown to the whole U.S. Treasury yields and the yield curve... Sure. Let me, I'll try to do this simplistically. So what is the yield curve? The yield curve is basically the schedule of yields on bonds according to their maturity. You have short-term bonds, which can mature in 90 or 120 days. Maturity is when you pay all the loan back that the bond represents. You can also have bonds that are 10, 20, 30 years out. And the yield, the market prices these bonds in part based upon what they expect inflation to be. So we know that if there's expectation that the economy is going to grow fast, that there's a higher expected inflation. When the economy is expected to, to, to contract and go into recession, inflation goes down. And so when the markets expect growth to slow down or to go negative, your yields on the longer-term bonds are going to actually be lower than your yields on the short-term bonds because your yields on the short-term bonds reflect what's going on now. But, if, but the markets expect the, the economy to slow down. Those, rate, those rates are going to go, are, are those yields are going to be lower. So we know from history that when long-term yields in the market, when yields on long-term bonds are lower than yields on short-term bonds, that basically collectively markets expect a recession. And that's one leading indicator of, of upcoming economic contraction. The other things that we see, the other boxes to check on testing whether or not we're going to have a recession are, do we see a fall in earnings? Do we see a fall in profits? We've seen that. Do we see also a fall in investment? And that's when companies invest, trade cash for fixed assets, assets that are like product, last a long time, like factories and plants and equipment. That's falling too. So we've checked all those three boxes which historically tell us a recession is coming. 
So Kyle, I want to bring you in and, and see, is this something where all, all of this fear of a possible recession coming, is is this something that we should really be taking seriously right now? Or is this kind of like the, the weather report, you know, when they say snow's coming, you know, hunker down and you only get like a dusting of snow and it just becomes a media talking point that just elicits an emotional response? Well, I mean, the truth is we don't know for sure. I, I don't necessarily think it's eminent that we're going to have a recession starting third quarter or fourth quarter or anything like that. These things tend to take time. What is pretty clear to me from the data is that the economy is slowing down. So whether it's slow down means we're going to you know, have periods of 1% growth or, or no growth or actually negative you know, contraction that would be considered a recession, that's hard to say. But it does seem like all of the signs, and especially as Phil talked about, that the drop in business investment is, you know, a, a very troubling factor that indicates, man, we, we just can't keep depending upon the consumer spending always driving this economy. So I, I do think there is a slowdown coming, whether it's an actual recession, whether it, you know, happens in early 2020, late 2020, when, when all that happens. You know, these are, are like a weather forecast. It is a little bit, you know, economists can, can get fired up and say it's coming. And, yeah, it might just be a dusting or, you know, it could be a blizzard. It's really hard to say. I think there is one certainty, though, and that this tariff, this flicking the switch on, oh, no, we're going to have huge tariffs. Oh, no, we're not. We're going to have huge tariffs. We're not. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make the recession a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's less because of the tariff itself. And it's important to understand that when when our companies don't export as much, that hurts GDP. Exports count uh, toward gross domestic product or our output as much as domestic sales. So that's that does reduce the you know business for our companies, and that has an impact. But the real real negative effect, and this goes to what Kyle said earlier, the real real negative effect is is this sort of on again off again approach to policy. Um. Companies are inherently risk averse. And when there's more risk in the market, artificially created by public policy, they're going to pull back on investment. And again, investment is typically the variable in gross domestic product that takes us into recession. Now, the good news is, and I think we pointed this out in in previous podcast episodes, when you look at the financial markets, there's no fundamental misalignment, you know, like there was in 2008. 2008 was that the, the Great Recession was called caused by a financial misalignment in in mortgage markets to the tune of trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. We're not seeing any of that misalignment. So if we do have a recession, it's not going to be the cat- catastrophe that we saw in 2008. I love that point because I do think we've had a weird cycle lately in in terms of economic history. It's it's been more than 10 years since we've had a recession, but the last recession we had was extremely severe. Before that, you went a relatively long period back, and it was the dot-com crash that led led to a recession. So you've got uh, our recent history skewed. That's not been the normal way things have worked over the last 100 years. Recessions happen every few years. They tend to be these business cycle ones where there's a slowdown and then things pick back up. So just because you hear a recession doesn't mean you have to think back to 2008, we're going to have unemployment over 10%, and 
and all those things. So, so we don't need to be so concerned about the R word and, and being scared and hunker down that way because we could have a recession in 2020 and yes, things slow down and unemployment ticks up, but it doesn't necessarily have to be one of these traumatic longstanding events. You know, I think the, the recession going back in history, like Kyle's going, I mean, when I think about it, the recession we had in 91 matches kind of what we're seeing here, but probably even milder because what was driving the recession in 91 was a, an isolated financial misalignment among the savings and loans banks that are now gone. So 91 was pretty mild and it was driven by that one small financial misalignment here. We we have no financial misalignment. So it could just be that we just have zero growth instead of negative growth. So I want to go, so I want to cover uh, another headline that's coming out there. I mean, with the trade war being what's dominating a lot of the financial news, you know, the people are saying that China owns $1.1 trillion of the U.S. debt. You know, they have a, a big, big claim into our deficit that we are currently accruing. And, you know, some news articles are are saying or suggesting or theorizing that they could possibly weaponize that against us. And I want to ask you guys individually, you know, Phil, start with you. Do you agree um, with that that could be used as a weapon? I think, you know, China is a pretty rational player. They, they have a, they have a lot of patience. They're about evolution, not revolution. And so I give them a lot of credit. They hold trillions of dollars in U.S. securities. And if they were to just suddenly sell it, imagine if you just decided to wake up one morning and sell your house. Would you be able to get the price that you think you should get? No, because the markets would know you're desperate. You're basically flooding the, the market with your house and you're just going to take whatever the market's willing to pay. You're going to, it's going to be highly discounted. So all of a sudden, if China wakes up and says, we're going to sell hundreds of billions of U.S. securities on the market to get back at the U.S., they're going to take a huge hit in terms of the real assets held by their banking system, more specifically their central bank. So rationally, it's a bluff. And that's not to say it won't happen, but there'd have to be a lot of willingness to to take a huge financial loss um, in the Chinese in the in, for the Chinese central bank, which you know that's just not the way China acts. China is not rash and and myopic. Yeah, and I would jump in and add that right now, I don't see that being enough to do significant harm to the U.S. I think there are plenty of other buyers out there in the global markets that would be willing to purchase U.S. debt right now. Right. We are still, you know, a strong economy. We are still stable. Having said that, and, and so that wouldn't really pull a, a leg out from under us. But if we were in a much more precarious situation and we could talk a little bit about our, you know, our U.S. deficit that could potentially put us in a more precarious situation. And then China's threats against us in that regard would be much more credible, and much more dangerous. So right now, with our economy growing, it you know I, I think all or most economists would certainly like to see us bringing our, our fiscal deficit down significantly and, and getting our house more in order. But right now, we're stable enough that we could pretty much absorb anything um, along the, the U.S.-China debt situation. And, and, and for the listeners, let's be very clear. Okay, what happens if they were to dump hundreds of billions of dollars 
of U.S. Treasury securities that they own on the market. What would happen is the price of bonds would go way down and interest rates would go way up. Our interest rates are really low right now. Um, and if the interest rates got too high, then the Federal Reserve could could counterbalance it with by lowering rates themselves. So it's really, people get all scared. Oh my gosh, they could dump all these bonds. But really, the at the end of the day, the only impact that that has on us is interest rates. Now, to Kyle's point, if interest rates go up, then that means that for the U.S. government to borrow more money, they got to pay more interest, which puts more burden on taxpayers. But in the short run, the ability of China to really hurt us with that, it sounds much scarier than it really is. So I want to get to the bottom line as we wrap up this episode. And I want to talk, as you were starting to get to, how does this impact organizations here in the U.S.? Because as we know and as we exist, you know, we help organizations make better business decisions. So I want to go around the horn and I want to ask you guys, Kyle, I'll start with you on this one. What are your recommendations for business leaders in the midst of this trade war? So I would just say to keep an eye on it and exercise caution. And we've seen business investment go down a little bit. And I certainly, if I were managing a global company with a global supply chain, I would be much more concerned about this and I probably wouldn't be making these large-scale investments right now. Wait a little bit, see how it plays out. Hopefully, some of this uncertainty will come out of the market. There's always going to be some level of uncertainty about our economic growth and all that. But right now, it's higher than usual. And that's why we're seeing all this volatility in the market. So you might pull back investment a little bit, stabilize the finances of your company, and, and target growth as much as you can without making massive investment right now. And unfortunately, that's not the best thing for our economy, but it's what I think that that business owners should be looking to do right now. I'll come at this from two directions. So you've got companies that have their supply chain or their suppliers in China. And, you know, a lot of folks have said that this has been a long-term redefinition of the relationship with China. And so... You know, I would I would consider, perhaps, in the medium term, uh, diversifying your supply chain. Which means, perhaps, if you've got, if you have eighty percent of your suppliers in China, maybe you need to reduce that number. Now, I'm not saying move out of China, but we're in a new era now, where tariffs have a much higher probability of being imposed than they were in the past. Which means the risk, the tariff risk, is higher. And you have to adjust your long-term geographic diversification strategy in terms of maybe where you source from abroad. So that's a, strate- that's, that's a strategic lever to consider. And for some companies, they shouldn't change it. They should just weather the storm. Others that have a very complicated global supply chain should really look, look into this and just realize that even beyond Trump, our relationship with China has been changed. The, 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 the democracies are much are much more are much more willing to pursue nationalist strategies, minor or major, in terms of the way they engage the global economy. Um, the second point is, to Kyle's, to Kyle's point, is that, you know, with higher uncertainty, just move slower. We want to we we move slower, but, it may, you know, to kind of be a little bit more cautious, but, but really... Um, I think that that this slow that what we're seeing now creates more opportunity in that most companies most managers are not very they're not 
they don't look into the long run. Most U.S. businesses are, most U.S. businesses are myopic. They're too short term and they make huge mistakes. And if you're thinking more long term, you have more patience. You're leveraging a more sophisticated understanding of the long term direction of of the U.S. and global economy. You can use that to your advantage. You can be making investments that nobody else is making, but that you know is going to pay off when we do come out of this slight bump down in our economic trajectory. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell and Kelly Economics Professor Kyle Anderson. Our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.